Welcome to the RUF Berkeley podcast. RUF is a campus fellowship centered around experiencing and expressing the love of God to our campus, our classmates, and our community. For more information, check out our website at rufberkeley.com or find us on Instagram at rufberkeley. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth a son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. We are in a series this semester uh, on union with Christ, and basically what we're doing, doing uh, what we're doing is we're unpacking um, just what it means um, to be uh, in fellowship with God. You know, if you have spent any time in kind of Christian circles, you'll hear words like salvation and being saved and stuff thrown around a lot. And uh, in some ways, we kind of grow numb to those that language and that terminology. Like, what exactly does this mean? And union with Christ is actually the Bible's language for what for being saved, right? You're united to God through Christ. And we're just kind of peeling the layers of that um, like, a, like an onion uh, because there are so many layers. And my hope is really by the end of the semester, uh, at the very least, that you will grow in uh, some, some, some sense of wonder and beauty for just how broad and wide and deep and long the love of Jesus, or really to, to say it how Paul says it in Romans, the love of God is for you in Christ Jesus. Um, so, union with Christ, that's what we're getting into. Um, something that may be helpful for you as we go through this series on union is uh, to ask yourself this question. How does union, <clears throat> how does union with Christ attend to or address my existential hungers and my existential longings? How does this? Uh, how does union with Christ attend to or address my existential hungers or my existential longings? To put that simply, what need does it meet? How does union with Christ? What need does union with Christ meet in my life existentially? Um, it's not to suggest that uh, if you don't feel those longings, that perhaps you don't need, uh, you don't have any needs in relation to that. Um, you're probably just going so numb to some of these longings that maybe you're, they kind of operate in your subconscious. Um, but uh, nonetheless, that's a helpful kind of paradigm or question to be asking yourselves as we enter into each one of these sermons, uh, asking that question specifically about the topic that we're covering that week. What need does this meet? Okay, and this requires two things of us, really. The first is that it requires us to slow down enough to read our habits and to read our hearts, to know what we are doing and why we are doing that. And if you can answer those questions, you'll begin to peel back the layers of these deep-seated longings, your felt needs, um, the things that you must have to be whole, but deep down, you're concerned that something is off, that you don't have those things. Um, so they are longings. We long for these things. They are hungers. Um, and your habits 
or the, what, the word I'm using, habits, really is just the behaviors that you employ uh, in order to secure those needs, to fulfill those longings, how you habituate your life and order your life, uh, how you brand yourself, whatever, however you want to talk about it, in order to secure those longings. So that's the first thing it requires. The second thing that it requires is simply just to contemplate how Jesus knows what you need better than you do, and therefore how union with him meets those needs better than you ever could on your own. So that that question requires two things of us, to slow down enough to read our habits and to read our hearts. And the second thing is to slow down enough to contemplate how Jesus knows what we need uh, better than we do, and therefore how union with him meets those needs better than you ever could on your own. So last week we looked at um, we looked at the nature of our union with Christ as a vital union that Christ is your life, uh, as the Gospel of John says in chapter fourteen. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He doesn't just like know the way. He doesn't have instructions for how to cultivate the way or construct the way. He doesn't know somebody who knows somebody who's heard about the way, like. He is the way. The person of Jesus is the way. He is the life. So he is vital. Our union with him is vital. This week, we are kind of continuing on and we're getting into what's often called the benefits of our union with Christ. Um, And this will become increasingly important with you um, as you begin to grow and mature in your understanding of who Jesus is and what uh, who he is and what who he is for you, uh, because often what we get confused about as it relates to knowing how to navigate the Christian life is we begin to separate the benefits from the benefactor. So we get caught up on questions like justification and sanctification and adoption and glorification. These are kind of big, you know, theology terms that we'll kind of define later on in the semester. Uh, and we we. Um, What's a good word? We kind of, uh, I have a great word right on the tip of my tongue and it's not coming to me. We basically rest away those benefits from the benefactor so that we, we really miss the point that when you have Jesus, you have all of his benefits. You have all of Christ for all of life. Um, so we're, we're wading into um, a few weeks where we're talking about the benefits And there are several that we're all going to hit on, but tonight we're going to focus on one benefit, and that is called adoption. Adoption, and that's simply becoming sons and daughters of God in Christ. Adoption. Now, how is that a felt need? How does that somehow meet this kind of deep longing in your life? Because maybe not all of you, but most of you, Many of you have never found yourself in some sort of position of panic or moment of turmoil, uh, and the solution that pops into your mind is that, you know, uh, I need new legal guardians, so I'm just going to put myself up for adoption. Like, that's, that's kind of what I'm longing for. That's what I need. Uh, that's, that's not really how I'm going about this. We can all laugh at that because, like, none of us have really ever had that kind of thought, I'm going to put myself up for adoption because really day and night I just wake up wishing that I was adopted by somebody. Um, so you may not have wanted new parents. Most of us may not have wanted new parents, even though we've had struggles with them. But all of us, without exception, have certainly felt 
a deep sense of estrangement and alienation. We've all felt estrangement and alienation. That is in your hearts. And you do feel that at different times of your life and sometimes chronically, always. You feel that estrangement and alienation. And the reason why uh, I know this is because I know your habits. And I know my habits. I know your hearts and I know my hearts because I know your habits and I know my habits. Um, Let me illustrate this point for you really quickly as I take a drink of water. Um, Back a few years ago, back in the old days when we used to meet in the Calvin room at um, First Pres, Amir and others would make fun of me for taking a drink of water like from the side. Anyways, that's free free memory um, you can file away. So let me illustrate this point of, about estrangement and alienation. Uh, the other day, I was talking to a close friend of mine, and we were talking about, you know, reminiscing about dating and just like some of the fears and concerns that would creep up in the dating life. And uh, as my buddy was talking, he kept circling back to this tendency that he had in relationships to basically do whatever it took not to lose the relationship. Um, exhausting himself, trying to be whatever it was that he needed to be so that basically the girl wouldn't leave. Um, So, like, you know, this is starting this kind of big conversation. We're going kind of deep in the weeds, and we keep talking about this. And eventually I just ask him as he kind of keeps going, like, "Uh, dude, did you have this, like, chubby, ugly phase in middle school, like where nobody liked you? Now, brief note, we were all chubby and ugly in middle school, okay? So I'm not picking on anybody here. In fact, Morgan Kendrick, the great philosopher Morgan Kendrick, says that uh, if any, if you were cool in middle school, then usually you grew up to be a terrible person. <laughs> so she's probably right on that, um, which is why Morgan's terrible now. You know, just kidding. Um, but so in, in, in so many words, right, his, his response to that question was, well, yeah, you know, I basically kind of felt that way in middle school. And his perception of himself was that like no one really liked him, at least in the way that he felt that he needed to be liked, and no one found him attractive. He had this like deep sense that like maybe I'm not attractive or maybe I'm not cool. And like to a middle schooler, like these are the things that you desperately, desperately want. Like you just want to know that you're liked. You want to know that you're at least kind of attractive. Um, it's just like so important to you. And so like Going through this experience, he started changing these little things about himself, trying to find a place where he belonged. Um, and it's funny that all these years later, right, when we're like reminiscing about these old days, all these years later, he, he said that he still remembers when he felt like he had finally arrived. And it was when, note this, it was when the, the, the cool guys, right, on the football team that he always wanted to be friends with included him in a text thread kind of unbeknownst to him, just like added him, and now he's in the thread. And it's it's kind of weird, on the one hand, that a grown man would remember such like a trivial thing, that, that something like a text thread and being included in it would end up being this formative, deeply moving experience in his life. Because we just kind of think of grown men like we're tougher than that or whatever, you know. But on the other hand, it makes total sense that 10, 15 years after something like that happens, 
it makes total sense to someone who feels estranged and alienated. If that, is a, if that is a chronic longing in your life and in your heart, it makes total sense that you would remember something so seemingly insignificant. And that's because the heart knows what it wants and will curate our habits to try to get what our hearts want. We'll shape who we are to enter into spaces, to be invited into spaces, to be in relationship with people, to accomplish certain things, to give our heart what it wants. And one of the things that it wants is it wants to be related. It doesn't want to be estranged or alienated or isolated. It wants to be connected. It wants to be united or in union with something. But here's the thing, right? As you could probably guess, my friend all these years later is still wrestling with the same longings as am I. Trying to find, uh, metaphorically and literally, a home trying to find a place of belonging. And we all are. Because the text thread, in the end, it doesn't work. You know, if we can kind of extend that, that analogy, the text thread doesn't work. So my question for you tonight is, what is your text thread? What is your text thread? How do you deal with your alienation and your estrangement? Some of you may numb it. Some of you may like just wallow in self-pity over it. But how do you deal with that alienation and estrangement? The, the, the sense that you are not, you don't have the friends that you want. You don't have the status that you want. What are you willing to do to belong to something or to somebody? What habits and behaviors will you put on to fit in? So big question for tonight. What's your text thread? Um, so the Apostle Paul in, in the book of Galatians, what we read uh, just a minute ago, what Ben read for us, he unpacks this reality for us, but he uses some slightly different terminology. I'm going to start by looking at verse 8. All right, so we are in chapter 4, and uh, we'll start by looking at verse 8. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. So just really quick here, what Paul is saying is that when you don't turn to God with your estrangement and alienation, you become enslaved. And here's the reason why. It's because the little habits, what Paul, will get to this in a second, what Paul calls the law, um, the little habits that you pick up to find a home that's not in God, to find belonging that's not ordered rightly underneath your belonging to God, those things actually become little gods, things that by nature are not gods, as he says in verse 8. right? Little idols in your life that you are enslaved to, and you will do anything to serve those gods if it numbs the pain of loneliness and abandonment that you deal with, and it turns you into a shell of a human being. A shell of a human being. You know, this is kind of an odd illustration. There's certainly probably a better one, but this really struck me uh, the other day. It stuck with me when I was watching it. Uh, have any of you seen um, a fairly new documentary on Netflix called Crack, on the crack epidemic of the 80s and 90s? Anybody seen that? Really, really good. 
some really good social commentary in there. I would certainly encourage you to watch it. But it's about the crack epidemic of the 80s and 90s and, and, and specifically how it infiltrated poor and urban communities uh, throughout the United States. And there's this one young man that they're interviewing, and he's probably in his, I don't know, maybe early 40s at this point, or maybe late 40s. Um, and uh, I haven't actually done the math on what he would have to be, but he's older. Uh, and so this, this young man, he became a dealer, a crack dealer, as a teenager. And he talks, in, as he's being interviewed, he talks about the hundreds of thousands of dollars that he was making every week from selling crack to poor people. And how making that money provided for him a life that he never thought he would have, gave him a status um, and some sense of belonging that he thought he never would have. But he felt um, like he had to take this tough guy persona, um, he had to take on this tough guy persona in order to, regain, to, to gain the respect of the other dealers and people in the community. So he had to, he had to be this like, guy who kind of didn't take anything from anybody and he had to protect his turf. But here was the fascinating thing as he's reflecting on what that version, like he's kind of this um, recovering dealer, if you will. And uh, so he's reflecting on what life was like back then. And it was really fascinating, the two things that he recalls that made it so difficult for him um, to be like truly human. And he, these are the two things that he mentioned. He said, you know, when he was a dealer, he said, I couldn't laugh and I couldn't dance. I couldn't laugh and I couldn't dance. And if somebody told a funny joke, he had to stay like stoic and tough to keep his position and his power. Like he was just kind of this cool guy, like nothing kind of moved him emotionally. And he trained himself, he habituated himself to not laugh when he felt the urge to laugh because that's what he needed to secure what his heart wanted. Right? And then likewise, if he heard a song that he loved, or he was out like at a club or something with friends, he heard a song that he loved, he had to resist the temptation to dance, because if he did, then he wouldn't be taken seriously as a dealer. It would be undignified for a dealer to do it. So he couldn't... I just found that so interesting that he mentions, of all the things that he could mention, these uh, like laughter and dancing. Right, something, I mean, they just stood out to me because they're so simple, right? Laughter and dancing, but they're so basic to human joy. Like so native to what it means to be a human. Laugh and dance. To celebrate, right? And yet he denied himself this childish joy. Key in on that word childish, right? When we think about adoption. He denied himself this childish joy joy just so that he could belong to give his heart what he always thought he wanted he denied himself these joys and it's funny that that that's what he thought he had to do and yet he did it so much so that he became enslaved to it kind of losing the ability to laugh and losing the ability to dance and like being so self-conscious in those spaces protecting this image because that image was his credential to belong, right? So no laughing and no dancing if that's what it takes. So listen, keep listening to Paul as he's kind of providing commentary on this. In his words uh, in verses 4 through 5, or the first half of 5, he says, uh, <clears throat> But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, 
born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. I'm going to read it one more time. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. So the language that Paul uses for getting at this reality is that we live under these laws that we create. These laws to try to attain for ourselves the cure for our alienation and estrangement. I just want to belong to somebody or something, and so we become enslaved to the laws that we impose on ourselves. We become enslaved to the habits that we form to find love. We live under that law. So we're constantly trying to do something and be somebody and carry ourselves and talk a certain way and dress a certain way and, and care too much and care too little and not laugh and laugh too much and life at the party or like, I'm too cool, I stand by the wall. Or like, I don't go, all these things. Constantly, constantly curating who we are, these habits, trying to figure out who we gotta be to belong. And we become a shell of what a human being actually is. We become slaves, enslaved to these habits that don't work. The text thread doesn't work. And so the next question for us tonight is how does Christ meet us in this? How does union with Christ answer this longing? How does he meet us? I want us to read that passage one more time. We're going to go all the way through verse 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters." The most important two words in that entire passage are so that. So that. Christ, if you follow the, the logic of the passage, Christ takes on flesh. God takes on flesh in the person of Christ, was born of a human, and he becomes like us. So the first thing is Jesus is a person. Christianity connects you to a person. It's not a disembodied set of, set of ideas. None of you go to bed at night and long for a set of ideas that will somehow fulfill all your deepest, darkest, not dark, but like deepest, um, most uh, emotionally needy des desires, like your longings, right? You don't long for a set of ideas. You long for a person. Christ is that person. Let's keep going. He was born, this person born of a woman like us, was born under the law. That means that he felt the estrangement and the alienation that you feel. He felt the weight of not belonging. It's a person who resonates with your plight. It's not just a person who's never experienced any trauma in their life. He knows what you're going through. And keep going. So he... Paul says he was born under the law in order to redeem those who were under the law. You and me, born under the law in order to redeem those who were under the law. 
That means that Jesus himself checks all the boxes. He forms all the habits. He fulfills all of the law so that we don't have to. So he's born, he's like us, right? He takes on flesh so he's like us. He's born under the law so he sympathizes with our pain. He knows our longings. But he was born under the law in order to redeem those under the law, which means that all of the the habit-forming stuff that you try to do to be the person that you want to be or be connected to who you want to be, Jesus takes that on himself. And he actually fulfills the laws that we actually are supposed to fulfill and we can't so that we don't have to. All right, and then here's the best part. The next verse. So that so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. He does all of this so that we might receive, we're passive, we receive it, we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. That's the ultimate invite to the text thread. Right, that's the familial love that God the Father shares eternally with God the Son. We now share in that love. This is why adoption actually is at the heart of what you long for, because you know that you're an orphan. That's why you feel alienated and estranged. We are orphans. We need to be adopted. And so this is what Jesus does. And so now we are united to Christ. That's how we share in this love. We have this love that we were made for because by grace we have been adopted into the family of God. That is a love that you cannot earn. And that is great news. The sonship that belonged to Jesus naturally, he now shares with you, with me, by grace. It is a gift, right? You are no longer a slave under the law trying to fulfill its demands so that you can just belong to something or somebody. You are no longer a slave to homelessness. You have found a home in the family of God in Christ. And so if you keep going, as we close here, if you keep going and you read that next, that next verse that we didn't get to spend much time on, when you're a child of God, basically what Paul's saying is you can start laughing again. And you can start dancing again. You can be vulnerable. You can bring the real you to the table in relationships. And surprisingly, that weakness and that vulnerability, that creates more real connection than any of your coolness. Right? You you start talking differently. You can cry out to God as he says, Abba, Father. Like, that's childlike joy. Even in tears, right? That's childlike joy. When, when Bo, our youngest boy, when he runs to me in tears, he's running to me because he wants my embrace. He wants the joy of knowing that his dad is there. And in Christ, we have God's embrace. And you can dance too, right? Because everything that is mine belongs to Bo and belongs to Gabe. They are my heirs, as Paul says in this. If we are sons and daughters, and we are heirs with Christ. Bo and Gabe are my heirs, so they will inherit everything that I have, which is not a lot. You know, sorry, Gabe and Bo. But Christ has everything. 
Jesus has everything and we are heirs in Christ and all that God has is ours in him. That's how Jesus meets us. Those are the longings that he meets. The longings that union with Christ attends to. He knows your needs better than you know your own needs. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you um, that in fact, even when our hearts are numb and cold and callous and we're totally unaware of our neediness and um, of our longings and uh, the fact that we live under the law constantly trying to be something so that we um, can be something and uh, be somebody. Um, we, we thank you that even though we live that way, um, you know our hearts better than we know our hearts. And you've supplied for us the needs um, You've supplied for us our needs, even when we don't know that we need it. And so, Lord, we ask that you would soften our hearts and uh, make us increasingly sensitive by your Spirit to the needs that we have and how those needs are met in you. And so we thank you now that we have adoption in you, that we are now sons and daughters, and we belong to the family of God because of you. We thank you for these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.